Welcome to Blue Talks. Hello everyone and thank you so much for coming this morning to beautiful campus at UCLA. Never been here before. It's a little intimidating. It's kind of large and sprawling and very hilly, but if you've already been here, you know that. My name's Mickey Gaffinstone and I'm here to talk about parenting. And it's not the parenting that you get out of the usual book that you pick up and this is how to and what to and you know, you're doing a bad job if it goes this way. That's that's not parenting, that's somebody making money from the subject, really. It doesn't help people. So before I get into parenting outside the box, I want to tell you a little bit about how come I'm so passionate about this subject, how did I get here? So this is the eighth country I've lived in. I've been moving since I was six months old and my childhood was, we will say, rocky, um, not what I would want for anybody else but it's made me who I am today. It was tough and I learned from very young, surprisingly young, just how to pick up on precursor behaviors. I now know that's what it's called. It's the little telltale signs that something's coming. And I would see, I'd read the room, I'd read whoever was around. Am I safe? Is this okay? Do I need to run now? And that was my survival technique as a very small child. I didn't know what, what I was doing, but that was how I knew whether I needed to be hiding under the bed or, you know, running off somewhere. And that, so that was a tough beginning, but it led to a very curious child, curious teenager as I moved from city to city, country to country, school system to school system. I don't recommend doing that more than you really need to. But that was my life. And I needed to adjust to each of these new environments. So I got very curious. Why, why does that person do that? What happened over there? What's, what was that? You know, there, there was a lot of curiosity. And I really focused on people's behaviors. So carry on, you know, I'm moving country to country. I end up in Bangladesh and I'm running a medical clinic there because that was my tropical diseases was my background. And I met and married someone, a Canadian guy. We have kids. Oh man, did my childhood come running back to sort of smack me in the face when I had kids because I suddenly realized I have no role model for this. I have no idea how to parent in a decent parenting way. Like how do you nurture? What does that look like? And then my kids didn't do all the things that are in that little milestone book. You know, child should be doing this by now. My, my firstborn was premature. He had a brain hemorrhage. He had all kinds of things going on and he didn't walk at all until he was nearly two. So I had two years of, well, a year and a half of people saying something wrong with your kid. He's not walking. He wasn't interested. He had other things that he was doing. He was a very cerebral child from the get-go. He was doing his alphabet in three languages by the time he was three. You know, walking wasn't interesting to him. I knew, okay, I have something different going on here, but I still had no idea what to do with this. So I looked for advice, and the advice I was getting was the very standard, 
you know, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was not suitable for the individual child. It was some average child that doesn't actually exist, right? Then my second born came along, holy smokes. That one came with even more challenges. And then we moved to Belgium when they were one and three years old. And I had to try and navigate new country, new language, definitely new way of doing things, and these little kids. Fast forward some more and, you know, I had some battles on behalf of my kids that I started to learn, okay, I, need, I don't need to look for a role model, there isn't one. This is gonna be different, this is gonna be new. And every time I did something different, I would have flack from somebody that didn't like the way I was doing things. And one story to illustrate that was my youngest, he wore Spider-Man 24 seven for 18 months. I kid you not, we had three outfits, one to wash, one to wear, one to repair. <laughs> and every time he pulled that thing off, it's like peeling off his skin. And the screaming, you would think he was being tortured. It, I guess he was, right? Sensory issues, that was a big deal. So he went to a Montessori school for two hours a day so I could have a break, get my head together and be ready for some more. And one day I took him to school and his teacher, very seriously, kind of came up to me and said, he cannot come to school like this. I mean, he's, he's this big. He wasn't verbal yet. He didn't even speak until he was older than three. So she said he couldn't come dressed as Spider-Man. She wanted him in normal clothes. So I thought about this and I took him off home and I was, I was kind of, you know, I was upset because she'd just given me a telling off about my kid. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? Whose problem is this? It's not gonna be mine and I'm not giving it to him. So the next day I took him to school. I had a little bag of clothes, got my kid's hand and I handed her the child and then I said, in Spider-Man, by the way, still in Spider-Man. And I handed her the clothes and I said, there's his normal clothes, have at it. I'll see you later. <laughs> and, and I left and she's kind of glaring after me. I left and when I came back a couple of hours later, guess what I found? I had my gorgeous son with his beautiful smile and his Spider-Man outfit and a very disheveled, irritated looking teacher who said not one word to me as she handed me the bag and she walked away. She's just like, I'm not having anything to do with this. And he wore Spider-Man until he'd had enough because I figured that wasn't a battle worth fighting. That was just not something I wanted to do. Now, my older child will leap forward some more, otherwise I'm gonna be here for a week. But my, my older child, we were in Canada again by now. And his teacher came to me one day and said, you know, he's no good at French. This kid cannot learn French. Just put him in a different stream, have him do something else. And I thought, wow, that's, uh, that's harsh. Okay, I'm not gonna do anything with this. I'm gonna sit on it. And I decided no action was the best course of action. And funnily enough, you're not gonna believe this, but we were moving again. What? So this time we went off to Singapore. We got to Singapore and the first thing I discovered at his school, unsurprisingly, was he had to go into Mandarin class. And I thought, oh, crud. Um, <laughs> what, what's gonna happen with Mandarin if he can't do French? What do, we, what do we got here? And I decided I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna just let him go and see what he does with it. 
he went to school, he came back, he went to school, he came back. He didn't really say anything and I was kind of waiting for the shoe, you know, something to happen. And after he'd been there about six weeks, he said, you know what? I love Mandarin. It's so cool. Look at this. And he started writing things. He was, he could read, write, he could speak. He picked up Mandarin that fast. His teacher was having a hard time believing it. And I thought, well, how did he do that? What happened? Time moved on and he discovered he loves languages. This kid is now an adult. He speaks seven languages. He's a linguist and he's currently doing his postdoctoral fellowship mapping endangered languages. Now that is something he's having to create. This doesn't currently exist, right? He is building the code to be able to do this. Now this same child was told in high school that he would make a janitor. That was what he could look forward to in life. They didn't think he had a whole heap of anything in him. <laughs> I, words fail me, but you know what happened? That teacher could not teach French and she mistook her own inability for his and she put it on the child. Now, how often do we get that told to us about our kids? We got told your kid can't do this. Your kid's no good at that. Your kid's disruptive. Like who here has ever been called disruptive in class? Because I'm going to give two hands to that one. You know, do you, do you have any idea how many times I got booted out of class for being disruptive? But that's normal. You're supposed to talk. You're supposed to communicate. You're supposed to be here learning and testing and doing the things. So where did we go sideways on this, where suddenly it becomes a problem? And if you're not following that machine path, then you know, you're not heading off to your industrial revolution factory job, then you're not doing it right. Well, what on earth? I think it's time to do things differently. And as I worked with my kids growing up, you know, they threw all kinds of challenges at me. My youngest did not like to get up in the morning. I tried the, the softly, softly. I tried the yelling from the doorway. I did the singing. I did the banging the pots. You know, I did all the things I could think of to get this kid out of bed. And everything led to him being this grumpy, just like, yeah. He, he was just horrible to live with first thing in the morning. And he didn't want to go to school. And one day, I don't know why it came to me, but it did. He had two pet rats in his room. Yes, he did. He kept them in the cage, but he had two pet rats, one black, one white. They were huge. And I looked at the rats and I looked at his sleeping form and I looked at the rats and I was like, yep. Opened the door, took the two rats out and put them on him. So did he scream? No, because my kids don't do those kind of things. They do it differently. He woke up laughing and he said, oh, they're tickling me. And he thought this was the funniest thing ever. And so began this long, I, I don't remember how long, but it seemed long, ritual of every morning I'd wake him up with his rats. <laughs> and then the rats would get a treat, right? And the rats were having a field day. They're like, oh my God, we're out early today, what? And so the rats are running around. We've got a cat that's running away from the rats. There was chaos in the morning, but at least my kid was happy. And that was the thing I was going for. And that's the thing I think you need to focus on when you're raising a child, or if you see one that needs a helping hand, maybe you could give it to them. Maybe you can listen to what that child's saying. Where are they having a hard time? Where do they need a little support? Is that child being seen and heard? Because so often they're not. 
We're just like, oh, shh. I mean, I grew up with the seen and not heard, in fact, ideally go out of the, you know, head out. That sort of latchkey kid of here's the key, go out the door and come back later, don't burn down the house. There's not a lot of how-to in that, right? But the kids, they need how-to. They need to know that you're there for them. And they need to learn from you by what you're modeling. So a story I'd like to give you, and we still have time, so we are good. Story I'd like to give you is this child I worked with recently. Now, I'm, I'm currently a board certified behavior analyst, which means I get to do this stuff. I get to work with kids with um, autism, ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder, all those kind of things. This particular child, 15 years old, living in the UK, he's had therapy, he's had school interventions, he's had everything they can think of. They are out of services. And the sister of this kid's mom knew me and she said, can you help? I'm like, I'll give it a go. What you got? Let's, <laughs> let me in there. Let me see what we got. This 15 year old had autism. He has ADHD, dyslexia, profound dyslexia, and high levels of anxiety. And this child was going into his room and cutting. He was cutting himself regularly. His anxiety was so high. And his parents, whew, their anxiety was, you know, coming, coming out at me, of course. It, it would be, right? So I did a little assessment trying to figure out, okay, what exactly is he anxious about? I mean, there's so many possibilities. What's the biggest deal? And at the time, I also said to the parents, rather scarily for them, don't take away the things he's using to cut with. And <laughs> they were like, what? And I said, no, don't take those away. That's his coping mechanism. And it's working for him. If he escalates, we're talking suicide, and he has talked about suicide. So let's not go there. Let's, let's leave him with what he's got, and we'll take away the reason for what he's doing. How about we do that? And bless them, they were there for it. They, they followed through because that is the toughest part for parents is actually to do some of these things that seem to be counterintuitive. And that's the thing, parenting outside the box is counterintuitive. So they left him with that, and I got them to back off from him. Give him space. Don't go into his room and check what he's doing. Don't ask him every two seconds how he's feeling. Don't follow him around the house asking what happened at school today. That's building his anxiety. This kid has some diagnoses that mean he has processing time. He needs to have a couple of minutes to just get what you just said and then figure out what he wants to do with it. And there's no harm in that, right? So I had them greet him when he comes home and just say, hey, how you doing? Okay, see you in a bit. And then carry on. Oh, casual. Act casual. Just be chill. And start modeling relaxation. You know, appear relaxed if you can. And they were working on it. And I said to them, first time you do that, you just say hi and then don't say anything else. I give it 10 minutes and he's coming after you to tell you everything about the day. They contacted me less than a week later and said, it took five. He was there in five minutes. So fast forward, less than three months later, this child was no longer cutting. He was no longer hiding in his room. He came out and he was being social. Now I call that a major win. A year later, he's still fine. He has not gone back to cutting. He's not doing any of these things. And they're working with him where he is. And the parents became so much more relaxed that the mom said to me, I have all this time. Um, I need to lose weight. Can you help with that? <laughs> and I was like, 
look at that. You've got time because you're not plaguing the life out of your kid. This is great. Now, I'm not judgmental about this because we do the best we can with what we have. And when you've got a child with that much anxiety, how do you know what to do? And that's the whole thing with my journeys. I had to learn this stuff as I went along. I learned the behavior science and I learned how to apply it differently. So instead of just following the rules of A, B, C, D, E, nobody goes like that. Every child needs a different response. So I look at the child. What are you doing? What happened before? What happened to keep you going? What do you need to do instead to get the thing you're after? And that's basic behavior analysis. So I use that. I give it to the parents to use. And I work with them until they're comfortable to assess what's going on with their kid. And above all, listen to your child because the teacher that says your kid can't speak French, the teacher that says your kid can't be dressed as Spider-Man, I'm not down on teachers, honestly, it's just this was how it was coming. I had in-laws who had issues with where I was parenting as well. They didn't like it. I got flack, 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 flack. But it's just so much noise. And I honestly think if you're doing things differently and your child is doing well, then you're on the right track. Don't worry about the, the noise in your ears. My two kids, my youngest, started in special education and I was told, don't expect much. My eldest was going to be a janitor. Now my youngest's been in a relationship for three years. He lives independently. He's becoming a teacher. He already has a master's in political science and history. He's doing just fine, thank you. Oh, and he speaks three languages. My eldest, as I've already said, speaks seven languages and he's a linguist. So. I don't know, parenting outside the box, I'm going to say it works. So that is basically my talk for today. And thank you so much, everybody, for coming. Thank you for your attention. And I'm around if you have any questions. Welcome to Blue Talks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.